As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll. Less work, more clean. Terms apply. The race is on, and what a race it was at Austin with Max Verstappen leading home Lewis Hamilton by just 1.3 seconds to win the United States Grand Prix and extend his world championship lead to 12 points. But in a Grand Prix that balanced speed and strategy in the fight at the front, how exactly did Red Bull pull off victory, and could Mercedes have done so after leading the first stint? I'm Ed Straw, and joining me to answer those questions and many, many more are Scott Mitchell and Mark Hughes. Well, Mark, hello. I say that as if I haven't been uh, pretty much with you all day. Did you enjoy your uh, your chauffeur drive to to the hotel? Yes, it was terrific. Um, I especially liked the way you were going the wrong way up one-way streets and um, mistaken two-way streets for one-way streets and one-way streets for two-way streets. Um, at first, you were telling me that you came close to being sideswiped a couple of times earlier in the weekend, and I thought that was just unlucky, but I begin to get a different uh, understanding of why that might have been by now. Oh, see, that's fascinating because whenever I'm a passenger in the Ed Straw chauffeur, chauffeur service, I'm often led to believe that I'm the issue when I when I take umbrage with Ed's driving. But the the, the sample set of aggrieved passengers is starting to grow. Ed, no, the, the the general the general service was fine, but I did get a little bit disorientated about uh, where I was, and uh, yeah, I did a, I did attempt to send it up a one way street at one point, and then attempt to send it up another one-way street and correcting so uh, did very well eventually after after kind of circling my hotel for uh, for a few minutes we eventually uh, eventually got in so all's well that, that ends well but I'm, I'm not I'm not taking the blame for the uh, the near side swipings there was one large accident uh, just in front of me a few days ago in an intersection uh, which fortunately I wasn't involved in and someone tried to do that to me in the evening but I was uh, I was wise to it so uh Fun and games, but yeah, that, those were very much not my uh, not my fault. But Scott, well, we've already heard from you, but I'll say hello. How are you? I'm I'm good, thank you. Um, unfortunately, not on site with you guys for this one, having done the last few. And uh, I have to say, I uh, regret missing this one for many reasons. Um, the most valid being how awesome 
the event looked from 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 afar. Absolutely amazing crowd. Obviously, we've talked a lot about in the last few days about how F1 seems to have, cra- have cracked the US. It, an enormous appetite from the US fans. So the event looks amazing. Texas Austin is always one of my favorite places to go to anyway. But more than anything right now, as I sit here recording this at 4am my time, <laughs> I just miss being on the right time zone. <laughs> yeah, that's something Mark's going to get to look forward to for Mexico. I'm, I'm just staying out. I'm on, a, I'm on a bit of a world tour to the end of the season now. So I'm going to be on the right time zone. But yeah, it's... Uh, it's somewhat painful for a uh, few at that sort of time in the morning, but I'm sure your podcasting will be as sharp as ever. So we'll get on with it so that Scott can eventually uh, get to bed before the sun rises and get a close battle. So, Mark, not one of this year's most controversial or chaotic races, but it was a brilliantly pure battle at the front, wasn't it? So how did Verstappen and Red Bull pull this one off? Yeah, it was a brilliant race. It was um, beautifully poised and the outcome was in in, in doubt you know, until very late in the race. Um, how they pulled it off, I mean, the, the, the Red Bull was, from Saturday onwards, pretty much um, the, the, the faster car. Uh, it was basically uh, looking after its rear tyres in a much more sympathetic way than the Mercedes, and that, that was uh, the crucial differentiator this weekend. And um, even over a one, one lap of qualifying, that was the case, which is why uh, it... it, it, it edged out um, pole position by a couple of tenths and was the quicker car in the race. But Lewis Hamilton won the start. And so with the, the slower car leading, um, it, was, uh, it was a very, very nicely poised race. And Red Bull had to puzzle their way out of that because um, it wasn't enough faster that it could overtake on track. So uh, it was going to have to be done around the pit stops and it was a two-stop race. And they did it essentially by that very bold, very early first stop. And it was particularly bold, even for a two-stop race, because the tyre dig was so high that A, it risked falling into a three-stop strategy because you, you may have just run out of um, you know, tyre life by having made the, the remaining stint so long. And B, they hadn't even cleared the fifth place um, McLaren of Daniel Ricciardo at that point. So it, it for it to work entailed passing that on the outlap and being sure that you would, and potentially um, Leclerc's Ferrari as well, although that pitted out the way before they needed to do that. But yeah, it was, um, it was quite a risky, it was, well, not risky, but because it, it, it would still have been second if it had not worked. But it was it was certainly bold, and um, it was uh, it gave them track position, but at the expense of uh, a, a very asking a lot for the tyres to do in the remaining distance of the race. And that connects to the first question we've got from the race members club. This one comes from Danny Elliott, who said, "Did Mercedes have no option but to go three laps longer with Lewis after Max pitted?" on lap 10, given it looked like at that point in the race that the Red Bull was the faster car. I just felt at that point their best option was to either pit first or react to the Red Bull tactics to have any chance of staying in first at that point. Well, you've kind of said why Mercedes couldn't have considered preempting the first stop. Yes, I mean, they they were um, much harder even on... every Everybody was using the tyres um, a, a lot, but uh, the Mercedes significantly harder than the, the Red Bull, so... If it was a marginal uh, strategy for the Red Bull, it would have been even more so for the Mercedes. And they felt that was a re- 
if they'd to to do it to have ensured doing it before Red Bull would have meant stopping on about lap eight, which would just given how high their tire dig was, they felt it was a real risk that would have forced them onto a three stop, which which wouldn't have been good. And then of course it came down to this uh, this chase of Hamilton of. Verstappen in the in the closing stages, I think he came out. Was it about eight point eight seconds yeah. once the gap had settled, with that eight lap tire offset? Yeah, and the complicating thing there was because Max had to push so hard on his out lap to make sure he cleared the McLaren, and he subsequently pushed pretty hard on a couple of laps after that. He basically destroyed the rear tires. So not only did Hamilton have tires that were three laps newer, but he did he was able to bring them in gently. He was around two and a half seconds off the pace that Max had done. And, and that's what you needed to do to, to keep them in shape. And so after that nice gentle sort of introduction for the new tires, uh, he had on that, in that second stint, um, he was, even though the, I've just said before that the Mercedes was uh, harder on the tires than the Red Bull, because Max had had to, essentially destroy <laughs> his new tires just to get track position in in that second stint the Merc was actually better on the tires but only because Max had been forced into doing what he did so yes uh, so then Lewis was chasing Max down to the second stops and that forced Red Bull to pit Max early again it was an early second stop he only did 19 laps on a set of hearts and that was because Lewis would have undercut him um, otherwise so that left him an awful lot to do in the final stint. And then it was just about Max sort of trying to uh, judge how much to take out of the tyres, but still keep a good enough pace to delay how, you know, when Lewis would arrive on his gearbox. And Lewis had the, the inverted one of, because st he stopped eight laps later for the second stint, so his tyres were in much better shape, and much newer. And um, yeah, he had to try and ensure that he arrived on Max's rear wing before it was too late, but still with enough tyre left to put a move on him. A bit like the challenge that Verstappen had faced in Bahrain on Lewis in the first race, so with the positions inverted. So, yeah, that's how it played out. And it was absolutely brilliant at the end, wasn't it? Really well measured by Verstappen. We were wondering whether Hamilton would get the DRS on the last back straight. And I think the mini sector, a couple of, a couple before the DRS detection, the gap was exactly one second, but Verstappen did what he needed to do in that first sector. But how much did you enjoy this one, Scott? Because this was a, a proper pure battle between those two that went from start to finish because, of course, Hamilton battled past Verstappen at the start after Verstappen had a, a slightly poor launch as a, as a result of Red Bull slightly underestimating the amount of grip available. Uh, I, I loved it. I, I loved pretty much every... Um, competitive element of this weekend it was so it was so awesome so so tightly fought and actually um I thought it was quite amusing after qualifying uh just at the end of q3 um i've said i've got despite what a few people like to tell me absolutely zero vested interest on in in who actually succeeds in this fight but i've got a uh I don't know if we can, uh, they don't sponsor the podcast, but if they want to, they're more than welcome to. I've got my Fitbit on. I always have it have it on. Other fitness tracker watches are available. And I noticed in qualifying, at the end of the the Q3 runs, the second runs in Q3, my heart rate went up to about 105 BPM. Like I was just like, I was, I was so 
I guess, like sucked into what we were seeing and reading stuff like that. Like, like the tension of the situation uh, sort of affected me as well. And it was the same sort of on the on the opening lap and then in the the final few laps where you're just waiting to see how it goes. It was just, it was so utterly absorbing and to, to the point where, like I said, you have absolutely zero interest in who specifically comes out on top. You're just wanting this incredibly raw and pure contest to keep going because I honestly think this was a race in which we saw Max and Lewis at their very best at certain stages of the Grand Prix and it just created a mega tussle. Once you had, um, you know, Mark was pointing out Max had gone too hard on his tyres too early at the start of the second stint but then the third stint he just managed so much better. He'd clearly taken on board what he learned. Lewis was throwing absolutely everything at him. It was just... for, for <laughs> For a Grand Prix that had no wheel-to-wheel racing between the top two after the first corner, it was absolutely amazing. <laughs> That's what we've wanted, isn't it? We've had this run of races where they've been either apart on track or driving into each other, as has happened at Monza. But this was just a proper pure battle, wasn't it, Mark? It was that there was no no controversy, just two races going at it. And I agree with Scott that we did see the best of both of them at times. Yeah, it was very pure. There was no complicating safety cars at the wrong time that advantaged one or disadvantaged the other. Um, and, I, you know, even going back to what Scott said, yeah, Max did um, push too hard on, on those tyres for the, for the tyres, but for the situation, he didn't really have an option. He had to do that because if he'd brought the tyres in gently, uh, <laughs> he wouldn't have got past you know the, the the traffic and wouldn't have got the track position so he had to do it so it was it was done in in that knowledge and it it, it ebbed and flowed the situation they were each in it ebbed and flowed so at some some stage of the weekend you at some stage of the race you saw lewis driving like an old granny sort of late and very very gently on the power and lifting off early while Max was absolutely you know, full chat and at other times it was the other way around Max was having to drive like that while Lewis was setting purple sectors all over the place and it was just just the the lovely sort of tidal flow of the of this um, contest between these two and I, I think I, I, we were talking about it earlier in the day these two have just it, it, you you know coming in any given weekend it is always going to be those two. And it's such a pure battle. And I don't, I think we might need to have a look at the records, but I think it might set a record for how many times two drivers from different teams have started on the front row together and fought out the destiny of a race um, throughout a season. And it's, it's, it's brilliant. It's, it's pure and it's, it's, it's uh, just fantastic. And this is just another little episode. And what was also nice is that it was, there was a, after Istanbul, there was a, a sense that maybe Mercedes really, really were establishing a, a sort of a impregnable sort of turn of speed. And, and Max seemed to be a little bit concerned about that at the end of the Turkish Grand Prix. But then we come here and we say that's absolutely not the case. It's switched again. You know, not for any reason, not for any, it's not like one car's, um, you know, put a development on which now makes that car faster it's just the specific demands of any particular circuit on a particular day changes it because they're so closely matched uh, ebb and flow is a perfect ingredient for a great championship battle so we're, we're hoping it'll go all the way to the end of the season it's looking like it's going to but scott there's inevitably a lot of interest in the balance of power between mercedes and red bull 
in terms of both engine reliability and performance. But let's start off with the engine situations because Valtteri Bottas took his sixth new internal combustion engine of the year. That relegated him from fourth on the grid to ninth. And of course, it seems likely Hamilton will have to take one more ICE penalty this year. So we've got a couple of questions on this. One from James Pascalis, who asks if the reports of Mercedes changing its engine mappings from Silverstone onwards are true, and if so, could they be the cause of the unreliability issues? And Simon T asks... Uh, my understanding of the rules allows manufacturers to modify engines for reliability reasons, of course, with permission. Why haven't Mercedes fixed their issue? Uh, I don't. I, no, I don't, I don't think it's. Um, I don't think it's quite as, uh, as simple as just um, you know tweaking a bit of engine mapping or, or, or something like that. We know that there have been more deep-rooted problems for Mercedes to try to overcome. It's taken them an awful long time to fully understand them, and it's a more sort of physical issue uh Toto Wolff has referred to you know material batch problems as well he's also said that it's the sort of thing that identifying problems and then working out what the solution is can be a, a much longer lead time on this sort of thing so I think that's I think that speaks to the depth of the issue that they have I don't think it's something that is a quite a quick fix I think we've had before um because uh Simon's right that you are allowed to change the specification for reliability reasons um but that is not the work of that is not the work of a moment so uh and I think Toto said I can't remember which race it was but a couple of races ago Toto also said that when it was when he was talking about sort of hearing unusual noises within the combustion engine and he sort he said something like um when you're when you're dealing with problems like this um it's the sort of thing that um you need to have yeah physical changes to the engine and he, he basically implying that when you're getting when you're six races from the end of the season that's not when you start redesigning the engine's architecture so yeah it's just something i hate to use the word but it's just something a, a bit more fundamental than that so it's this is why it's an issue they're trying to contain rather than fix outright because the outright fix will come for the 2022 power unit so what do you reckon mark a hamilton engine change and a five-place penalty in mexico mexico maybe brazil probably mexico i would think mexico is logical because they're going there in the expectation of not being um as quick as the red bull because of the the altitude it just just doesn't suit their turbo so if if you're expecting only to be, say, say qualifying P3, if you're taking a five-place grid penalty, it's not that disastrous to for Lewis. If he if he would be starting P8, it's perfectly feasible. You would think to to get back on the podium from there, um, and then you've got you've got the extra engine in the in the mix for the rest of the season. So yeah, logically, I, I think probably they they will. It's going to add a little bit of extra spice to the run-in, but yeah. Engines are going to be a big talking point for the whole rest of the season, no doubt. Well, Mark, now let's talk about the relative performance of Red Bull and Mercedes this weekend, because there was an expectation that Mercedes might have a slender advantage, but it was Verstappen who took pole and ultimately won. So how, how do you explain that in terms of the track characteristics, the prevailing yeah, conditions, etc.? Yeah, I think there's, there's a couple of things. One, it was unseasonably hot. Um, the, the track temperature is way higher than any previous uh, Grand Prix we've had here at, at this place. Um, so the the thermal stress on the tyres was greater than normal, and in which case you really want, you, you need ideally to have a car with 
a lot of rear downforce in particular because it's the, the, the rear tires that were the, the limitation here. And uh, yeah, the Red Bull was just has more of that. And so the advantages of that are amplified. The both cars have got strengths and weaknesses and the importance of those, each strength and weakness differs according to the circumstances, according to the layout of the track, according to the track temperature, according to all sorts of different things. So we, the, there'll be some places we go to where that difference won't be won't, won't matter. This one very much did matter. And so that that was one, the, 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 the track temperature. The other thing was the the bumps and that that was connected to this problem because the more the 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 more that you you're banging and crashing over bumps and curbs, the, the the more you're abusing the rear tires and the more you need the downforce. And I think it was just that just basically rear tire usage on the Red Bull was just much better, and that was very very important this particular weekend. Related to that, we got a question from Elliot Crossan. So Mercedes weren't able to stall a diffuser as much in Austin because of the high-speed corners. Does that mean that tracks without high-speed corners now favour Mercedes? And if so, which upcoming tracks might allow Mercedes to stall a diffuser better? This is all about the rear suspension, isn't it? Yes. So the, we, we saw footage from Istanbul for the first time this weekend uh, showing just how much the the, the, the rear of the, the Mercedes is lowering at speed. Um this is not a new thing. This is all cars have been doing this for at least 15 years in Formula One. Literally every car. I remember the Manor was doing it back in 2014, but going back even eight or more years before that, um, there was, I think it was, it was a Ferrari innovation originally. It is absolutely not a new thing. Um, but the extent to which you can. Um, generate lap time from it is completely dependent on the aero package that you've got and the way that you're feeding the floor. And I think since Silverstone, since the upgrade that they put on the floor and the barge boards around then, it's enabled them to take much fuller advantage of it and it's, it's enabled them to go more extreme in how much they lower the car. And this is, you know, that's, it, it worked very well at Istanbul, probably less significant here. And yes, it will be uh, at tracks where there's a more more of a differentiation between um, the, the fastest corners and the, the, the speeds on the straights. It'll it'll carry more lap time advantage. But I, we're not talking of a game changer. We're talking of a slight. We're probably talking a, a switch around between a track that suits it and a track that doesn't suit it of maybe a tenth, a tenth and a half. We're not talking it's suddenly going to be light years quicker than the Red Bull there in a much slower track B. You know, it's just part of many, many facets that go into determining which car's faster on the day. It's not a game changer. And one of the reasons why it's so talked about at the moment is because Red Bull have been making all sorts of suggestions about the straight line speed, and obviously it, it feeds into that. But Scott, a question from Sean Rooney, who says, is there a sense that the championship is going away from Mercedes? One race without a win now. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think um, I think Mark made a good point about um, you know there was this feeling after Turkey that um, Mercedes was building up this little bit of head of steam, but that was because it had come after multiple races in which Mercedes had looked good. This was a bit more like um, I guess a bit more like what we saw at, at, at Zandvoort, I suppose, from 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 Red Bull. I think when Red Bull do get that car into the sweet spot, that it's it's capable of being 
a bit quicker than the Mercedes. And when the Mercedes is has all the circumstances and conditions it needs to be at its full potential, it's capable of being slightly quicker than the Red Bull. It's just, again, just feeds into this amazing title battle that we're seeing that between the two cars, um, only mi- all these micro details and specific things are basically swinging it either way. So um, I'm, I'm wary of suggesting either either is quicker at the moment. It's like, I I would expect to go to Mexico and Brazil and come away with a stop and scoring in potentially 52 points across those two races and be on the brink of the title heading to the Middle East. Um, but I mean, that's based on stuff from previous seasons and the way this, this year is going, I'm going to feel like a bit of an idiot if I bet my house on something thinking it's a sure thing and then just end up being proven completely wrong. <laughs> but I think the question about whether it's going away from Mercedes is pertinent because joking aside like this weekend it has a little bit but then the previous weekend it went a little bit towards it. so it, this is the ebb and flow it's just going to keep doing that isn't it it goes a little bit one way a little bit the other but it's always within kind of what I call the error bars which is why neither team or driver has been able to to break away and that's what's made this year so so good I should note we did have a good question from Danny Donowski about Max Verstappen that we're going to save for our next podcast because it's a, a broader question and warrants a, a decent chat but Scott let's move on to Sergio Perez third for the second race in succession in doing so he helped close the gap in the constructors championship between Mercedes and Red Bull to 23 points it has to go down as his best all-round weekend doesn't it especially given the unusual circumstances that made the race particularly tough for him yeah, I, well, it's sort of best best weekend uh, with the caveat, not really his fault, I don't think, the caveat that we have to eliminate basically half the Grand Prix from the analysis because um, I was thinking as the race went on, I was like, I don't know whether it's because Checo had changed his approach for this weekend, done something different with the setup and or it was just in a way, it, you know, certain things had come together that meant he was much quicker over one lap and then struggling over you know, a longer run and thinking, oh, this is a deeply unimpressive race performance. It started off quite promisingly as it was exactly where he needed to be early on to cause Mercedes and Hamilton some issues strategically. He'd obviously done a fantastic job in qualifying comfortably as best, the strongest he's looked in qualifying all season. And you're just watching it sort of go away from him in the race. And I was thinking, uh, this is, this is turning into a pretty mediocre performance from Perez. In actual fact, he's much closer to the Ferrari than he is, the guys in front, but we'd, we'd, we'd heard early on that he didn't have his drink. I was thinking, oh, maybe that's going to be a bit painful. But then hearing him talk afterwards, like the guy was just, I did just said like there was nothing left. You know, we talk about like Lewis and Max did such a good job that they, you know, performance wise left nothing on the table and nothing on the track. I don't think Perez had anything else he could throw at that. I mean, I've got a quote from him here. Uh, where he said, uh, I wasn't feeling well this morning. From lap one onwards, I had no drink at all. It was extremely tough. And already from lap 20, I was completely gone. I had no strength. I was losing strength on my hands, strength on my feet. The vision as well was getting quite uncomfortable. And it was just survival mode trying to keep up all the time. I I don't remember the last time I heard a, a driver speak like that after a Grand Prix. Yeah, it was, it was very unusual circumstance. And I think he did a, a great job. I had a, a very quick look at his pace at the end of the race. I think over the last 15 laps, he was 1.1 to 1.2 seconds slower than Max Verstappen per lap. It's a little bit circumstantial because Verstappen was having to press on. Perez did have time to play with because he couldn't go for second and he wasn't under massive threat from Leclerc. Although he didn't 
he didn't finish a country mile ahead of him uh, in the end. But I think that shows how much he was suffering. But for me, Mark, the thing that was really good is that Checo was just on it from the first session, wasn't he? And probably he looked to Baku for his best all-round weekend prior to this. Of course, he won. He was backing up for Stappen. But I'd say this one was was probably the, the strongest just because he just looked a factor all the way through. Yeah. Um, as soon as the wheels started turning on Friday morning, he was uh, he was very close to Max's pace, sometimes even ahead, and was in contention for pole and came within a couple of hundredths of being on the front row and, yeah, was just very, very strong and close enough at the end of the first stint, despite having no drinks bottled, that um, he was able to force Lewis to uh, pit by putting under pressure on him. So he played a part in, in, in the, the strategy of Verstappen's race. So, yeah, it was um, very, very impressive. And it was a step change, I, I, I'd say. There's been signs of that he's been about to make a step change. Um, but I think this weekend he really did. And it was a little bit disguised on the race by his, his, his illness and his, his drinks bowl. This was so much more impressive than those those strong Sunday performances we've seen this year. So it felt so much more significant than any of those. You know, like um, obviously the win in, in, in Baku was one, but the French Grand Prix, the the, the, the drive in the race was was very strong. And there were there have been a couple since the summer break. I think Russia and Turkey, he... He 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 drove quite accomplished Grand Prix both times. He was unlucky in 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 Russia with the way that race played out in the end. Um, but that's kind of what we expect from Perez, isn't it? A slightly underwhelming Saturday performance, and then quietly ends up third, fourth in in, in the race on Sunday, and is roughly where you expect him to be because he's a very good Sunday driver, not in the. Uh, not in the derogatory sense but this one was yeah the the nature of that one lap performance it just feels like to have actually done that properly at a Grand Prix for the for the first time really for Red Bull that to me is a a much bigger statement of intent from 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 Checo than anything he's done any of the positives we've seen from him flashes of potential in any Grand Prix this season. And of course, his opposite number at Mercedes, Valtteri Bottas, he came through to finish sixth. He got Carlos Sainz on the the penultimate lap with a pass on the DRS on the back straight, the run down to turn 12. But uh, a question from a a race members club member, again, challenging my pronunciation ability, so apologies if I get this wrong, Niels Duin. That's definitely not right, but uh, you know who you are. Uh, Says, with Perez's recent form, it looks like the Constructors' Championship is going to be exciting again. Who do you think is going to bring it home? Come on, Mark. Who's going to win the Constructors' Championship? Uh, Mercedes. Okay, you heard it here first. Mercedes. Scott, do you agree? (laughs) Yeah, I do. Mercedes. Shall I just say Red Bull, just to be uh, contrary? I I suspect probably that advantage Mercedes have got will... uh, We'll, we'll see them home, but it's it certainly made it interesting. So uh, great to see Perez up there. Now let's look a tiny bit further down the field. Mark, the fight between Ferrari and McLaren, just as frenetic as the one at the front. McLaren's three and a half points ahead in the battle for third. The fight for fourth and fifth was sealed early on after that frenetic first lap with Charles Leclerc fourth, Daniel Ricciardo fifth, although he had to deal with a bit of pressure from Carlos Sainz. And Bottas interrupted the pattern by passing Sainz without that late move. Science was seventh, Lando Norris eighth. Leclerc's big advantage, though, over Ricardo in the end did suggest once again that Ferrari has got a a small but decisive edge in that battle. Yeah, ever since that new power unit um, spec went in, uh, they, they they've stepped it up a little bit, I think, and it's um, I think it's it's it it's a big it's a bigger gain than the number the the the, the peak number, which is 
believe about eight horsepower would suggest it's the the fact that it's uh, there's more power there all the time and that it's uh, harvesting faster and more efficiently and you know that I think it's just around the lap it's worth uh, I think uh, probably a good maybe a couple of tenths so it's a, it's been a good upgrade that and uh, promises good things for a competitive Ferrari next year that they're making such progress um, here I think really the decisive factor was the brilliance of Charles Leclerc's qualifying lap and that just got on that little bit of space so that he was in his own bubble during the race and just clear of all the scrapping that was going on behind and that that really just sort of carried him through he just he was able to just do his own race and leave leave the others behind and but it was all based upon the foundation of that brilliant qualifying lap and we've got uh, sort of in the habit certainly last year when the, when the ferrari was less competitive of of being wowed when he when he did a a lap that put it where it shouldn't have been but He's he's doing those laps pretty much every Saturday now, so it's it's not really a wow thing anymore. It's just Charles Leclerc. I I, I found with um, Leclerc's performance in this race, it was I sort of suggested it to Bonotto and I suggested it to Leclerc as well that it was one of those drives that was so it was so good it was all, it was anonymous basically. I, I I honestly don't remember any specific moment that Leclerc featured during the broadcast because he was just he was just so far ahead of the interesting part of the midfield but obviously quite away behind the top two and uh, far enough away from Perez he just didn't get any airtime and it was just one of those I feel like it was a a real like a real driver's performance one of those where the the driver gets in at the end of the race and just thinks that was absolutely brilliant I did absolutely everything right there my time management was great my pace was great I made no mistakes no one's going to think that was a really good drive but I know it was a really good drive it just feels like one of those and I think Leclerc's done that a few times it was um it was similar to his I think it was similar to his performance at Monza actually which he described at the time I think as one of his top five performances in Formula One that this was probably a bit different just because the car was inherently more competitive here um, but it's just I think it's good to see when good to see a guy like Leclerc sort of in 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 this groove um, I agree with Mark that the hybrid system that Ferrari have introduced does seem to have given them an edge um, Matteo Bonotto sort of hinted after Turkey that it was worth maybe one or two attempts in qualifying because he I think he specified that it probably gained Leclerc two places on the grid and the car two places behind Leclerc on the grid was two tenths slower, which <laughs> I think was quite a useful indicator of what it was worth. And it's just giving them a little bit more everywhere, isn't it? So Ferrari don't, do seem to have stepped it up. It's going to be, um, yeah, curious to see now whether McLaren's got enough left in the tank over the last uh, few races to actually fight back and, 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 and hold on because that battle is is fun especially when it's between those two teams I know it's only over third in the Constructors Championship but any fight involving McLaren and Ferrari it's um, it's quite evocative isn't it and I think we should say as well Ricardo did a decent job to be there in, in fifth place and and ahead of Sainz and also clear of Bottas Sainz was a little bit unfortunate on that first lap when he had that moment when he ran off beyond track limits at turn 12 when he had Norris coming up the inside and Ricardo on his outside and he he kind of cooperated in uh, in Ricardo passing him thereafter thinking it was Norris and then about seven or eight laps later he was asked to let Norris pass to to give him that position the thing that I quite liked about Sainz and Andreas Seidel 
had a small complaint about this. Uh, he let him past towards the end of the S's, which of course meant he was just behind for the DRS detection uh, point, which is just before the hairpin. And that, of course, meant he got DRS. So he then immediately passed Norris again on the, the DRS on the run to turn 12. So that was some intelligent driving from uh, from science. But yeah, not a great race for him. It, it all started to unravel a little bit when he didn't have a great um, a great clutch engagement in the second phase of the, of the start. That's what he was told over the radio after after the race. He was particularly interested in that, and that ended up with him battling with the McLarens and then, yeah, lost that place to, to Bottas. But yeah, great battle between Ferrari and McLaren. But you'd have to say Ferrari does seem to have a, a small but significant edge thanks to that upgrade. Scott, Yuki Tsunoda, he ended a five-race points drought, ninth place. Still not as quick as Gasly, although he was ahead when Gasly retired with a suspension problem, thanks to a good first lap, although Gasly was irritated he was being held up. But this was the kind of weekend Tsunoda needed, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy for him because there have been a few flashes over the last couple of uh, weekends. He just hasn't quite threaded it all together. And he, he has still lacked that last little bit of pace compared to Gasly, but... I think that's fine. I think if he can, if he, if he can be a couple attempts off of Gasly, I, I don't think that's a problem for where they are respectively in their in their careers and with their experience levels. So uh, this this was quite good for Sonoda. I I actually I really like the approach that AlphaTauri took to qualifying for him because they basically viewed it as um, I think if he'd struggled in qualifying because they the team as a whole had a difficult practice. If he'd struggled in qualifying, I think they would have changed his engine. Um, I think they'd have just put another one in the pool because I think he's the only one that doesn't have the new battery in the and, and so the the updated hybrid system that, that that Honda have introduced since or had available since Spa. I think Sonoda's the only one that's still on still on the older one. So I think that would have been an opportunity if he'd been knocked out in Q1, for example, just take it there. Um, but actually, what AlphaTauri decided was. Once he'd got through, they just said, well, we want to try and get through on the mediums, obviously. No one wants to start on the softs. But it was a choice for Sonoda, I think, of either, well, if we try and put him through on the mediums, he's not going to make Q3 and he's going to struggle a little bit on that tyre. We could just give him the softs and just let him have a proper go at it. And that'll get him into Q3. It'll be a confidence boost. It puts him into the top 10 shootout again. And then see what happens in the Grand Prix. So that's what they went for. And obviously, Sonoda made the most of it. He got into Q3 and then actually he he used the softs to to good to good effect and 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 drove a really good race. So I I kind of admire what AlphaTauri did there because they they sort of they viewed his circumstances, his situation specifically for him and they thought well the best thing for him at the moment is they're in this massive confidence rebuild job and they just felt let's just give him as much as we can in qualifying, more experience on the with the car, on the limit with the right tires and see what he can do. And then it might complicate the race a little bit more, but then that's going to be a learning experience in its own right. It's going to be a hard race anyway, so we'll sort of cross that bridge when we come to it. And so, so I think they played that quite well, to be completely honest. They, did, they, did, they didn't just say, well, we don't care however much you're struggling or what you're finding difficult to do, because this is what we need you to do. You know, they, they moulded it around what they think he needs. He responded very well to it, and then he did a good job in the Grand Prix. So... Yeah, I think um, two points well earned by driver and team. And also two points taken out of Alpine in a fairly close battle for fifth in the Constructors. So that was Sonoda doing his job. The AlphaTauri wasn't super competitive uh, at Austin. They had to make a few uh, sort of suspension 
mechanical platform changes to deal with the bumps and that cost them a bit aero-wise. So I think ninth was about as good as it was going to get. Mark, another driver who hasn't scored for a while but did in Austin, Sebastian Vettel. Tenth despite the back of the grid penalty. That actually only left him on the penultimate row. Strong race performance actually looked on the cards from Friday, didn't it, with his pace on the hards on the long run? Yes. Um, he was a little bit offset in what he did on uh, on the Friday because they knew he was going to be starting from the back and so they, they, they knew he'd be starting on the hards. So by the time they put him on the mediums, he was running um, lower fuel. So it, it flattered his position, but it nonetheless was a very, very, you could see it was a very consistent run that compared well with um, the, the cars that it's normally competing with. And so, yeah, it was, it just executed well, um, raced well and benefited from a, a late Kimi Raikkonen spin. <laughs> yes, that's what we're going to get on to next, Scott, because it was a frustrating day for Alfa Romeo. There have been a lot of frustrating race days for them this year. They look really well set for a point because Raikkonen was 10th. Giovinazzi was backing him up in 11th at one stage as well. So they seem to have a little bit of insurance before he was passed by Vettel. But yeah, Raikkonen's spin in the S's just seems to be eternally on the periphery of, of the points, that team. Yeah, I was. Uh, there, there was a point, I guess, a, a couple of laps from the end where I was watching and I think, uh, or a few laps from the end, I think they were running uh, 10th and 11th. So it would have been before, I guess, um, as well, Vettel must have been running still behind Giovinazzi, I suppose. And I was just thinking, this is a very Alfa Romeo finish. They've they've finally sort of taken advantage of a little bit and it looks like they're going to nab a 10th place, but it's still nowhere near enough to make any difference to them in the championship. But then they went even, they went one better. They went, they, they turned a very Alfa Romeo result into an even more Alfa Romeo result by throwing away a top 10 finish and then having the other car finish just outside the top 10 anyway. So, yeah, just... Um, just so typical for for that team and what they're doing. But I'll be honest, I need Raikkonen's spin explained to me because uh, he's obviously got a much better understanding of how to drive a Formula 1 car than I do. Um, but a late spin in a Grand Prix when you're just sort of driving around on your own to the finish is sort of something I associate with, not to be disrespectful, but, you know, a Giovinazzi. Uh, and it's the sort of thing that I guess we've seen Sonoda, haven't we have sort of his own his own moment this year was it hungry i think that Sonoda just had a random spin in so yeah just not entirely sure how that happened to be honest <laughs> yeah the, the in defense of kimmy he did have some floor damage from that contact with alonso uh, at turn one earlier in the race so he felt he was having to push a little bit too hard to ensure he could stay out of range of, of sebastian vettel pushed a little bit too hard didn't quite have the rear grip and, and went round so that that's kimmy's uh uh, argument on it but yeah I think certainly you could have uh, pulled off that uh, that that points finish but yeah Alpine we should talk about Mark their decent run of results ended in Austin Alonso had a back of the grid penalty so he was always up against it Ocon started 11th and had that uh, early stop for a front wing change after he was just clipped by Giovinazzi in the S's on lap one but we did also have plenty of fun from Alonso with track limits and battling with Raikkonen and Giovinazzi and complaining and giving race giving places back etc yeah i um i i would like to go and when, when i get time go and uh, listen to uh in in car alonso on the on on the app because uh, this this is absolutely his um his bugbear isn't it it is passing by going off off the circuit and it's it's what he's been 
sort of on a one-man crusade against. And, and of course, he forces out Kimmy wide, and Kimmy succeeds by keeping his foot in whilst off the circuit and uh, getting past him. Yeah, there was then further uh, discussion about that over the radio between the, the Alpine team and uh, Michael Massey, the race director. And then there was... Uh, <laughs> a further Alonso Alfa Romero dice as he got involved with um, Giovinazzi and <laughs> Giovinazzi had to give the place back and yeah it was it was, it was all quite entertaining but it, it didn't really mean very much it was a, a poor weekend for Alpine really that uh, it, it just they, they never they never broke through really you can always guarantee Alonso will insert himself into the narrative in some way and uh, did so again then. Well, thanks very much, Mark Hughes and Scott Mitchell, for your insight. Head to the race.com and don't forget the hyphen loads to read there. Mark's race analysis, my driver ratings. Scott's got all sorts of things planned for the next couple of days. Check out our sister podcasts, including the Race IndyCar podcast and Ringback V10s. And also videos your thing, check out our YouTube channel. We now have a rare two-week gap before the Mexican Grand Prix, so we'll be back soon with the latest from the world of Formula 1 as we work towards the final five rounds that will decide the World Championship. (laughs) 